your way in. Um, uh, but right now we're going to do something. Uh, we are going to commission some ministry leaders. Everybody we say, are very Ooh, excited about that. Ah, Extremely yes. excited. So the people, if you are part of that, just come on up. Millie, if you'd come up too, and uh, if Tom and Rose are here too, these are our elders. We're going we're gonna to pray for these people. And these are people who have been through our leadership uh, training process here at Elevate, and uh, they've gone through everything we've asked them to do, and they're assuming responsibility over specific areas of ministry. So if that is you, you should know who you are. Make your way up here. With courage. Don't with do courage. it. With, don't be, bold. be timid. Try. Right. Like a lion. Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> no talking. <laughs> Just kidding. We're gonna pray. We'll pray for them. So, but yeah, come on. Is this everyone? The Bible says to know those that are laboring among you. So Sherry's gonna do a brief introduction of each person. Oh, you gave me the paper. Okay, so I guess I'm gonna do it. Where's Shelly? Shellerino. Shelly. Lily, would you see if Shelly's back there? You just tell her to come up. We'll start down here with Noah. Noah is overseeing our high school ministry. Everybody say, yeah! Joe Day oversees the worship team. We all know that, yes. Rika and Heinrich, if you're involved in cell group training and cell groups, they're overseeing our cell groups. Another vital part, yeah. And Elliot, the man who, uh, jack of all trades, he's overseeing the facilities. Somebody said, yeah, come on. I always love to say what Elliot said. They go, man, you do, you do so much around here. And Elliot goes, yeah, but it pays so well. He's talking about Jesus, of course, paying and so. And Shelly's overseeing our prayer and our EMT development, uh, among a few other things as well. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray as a group. So if you just stretch your hands forward, we're going to say a, a commissioning prayer over them. And then uh, I'm going to go down the line and I'll anoint them with oil and the elders will follow me. And when we get to the end, that'll be it. All right, so let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Father. We don't have to serve, we get to serve. Thank you, Jesus. It is a privilege, Lord, to honor you with our lives and with our service. Yes. You. Your word says a day in your house is greater than a thousand. Mm -hmm. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in palaces of wickedness. Lord, a day in your courts. So, Father, I just thank you for the honor that you give to us to present our lives to you and to receive so abundantly back from you all of the goodness, the mercy, and the grace that is required to serve you. Father, I just want to release wisdom. I want to release unity. I want to release purpose. I want to release power and provision. All that is necessary and more for them to fulfill the role in which they're stepping into. And Lord, I want to declare an increase, an increase in faith, an increase in revelation, an increase in strength, an increase in a unified heart, that they're stepping out, but they're also stepping up. And so as they step forward, you're going to release this download and this increase over their lives, all that is necessary and more. And so, Lord, we just want to honor you, we want to thank you, and we want to honor those who present themselves before you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So we're going to anoint them with oil. <laughs> the crown of the head. So, Father, we just anoint Noah with oil and we just commission him into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. Father, we just lay hands on Jody and we just commission her into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. We lay hands on Rika and we just commission her into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. We lay hands on Heinrich and we just commission you into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. We lay hands on Elliot, and we commission you into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. We lay hands on Shelly, and we just commission you into the active service of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's give a hand. Yeah. 
So these are the people that are going to be responsible for those areas of ministry. One of the things the Bible says is know those who labor among you. So we, we do it publicly, we present it publicly, and we want you guys to be aware of what, what's going on here. So uh, we love you. You guys doing all right? Yeah? Come on. Yeah. Bagels are here. Coffee's here. Worship was great. Presence is in the room. We're going to do a, going to do a one-off today. We're going to do a one teaching, and then next week I'm going to... So today I'm going to talk about getting past your past. Anybody want to get past their past? Yeah? Yesterday ended last night. And then next week we're going to talk about reaching people for Jesus because we have a big outreach event coming up. And then in the month of November, my heart is burdened to do a series on prayer. So pray for me to put that together correctly. So uh, we're going to kind of, we want to lead into prayer going into the new year. So often we lead going out of, and uh, going, you know, once we get past January, but I feel like the Lord is this season of thanksgiving and gratitude. I feel like it's going to open up a lot of doors for people and a lot of things are going to shift if we'll honor the Lord in that way. So that's kind of what I feel like the Lord is dealing with me. But how many of those things happen? Huh? Sometimes, somewhere in the scope of it all, something is going to happen to you. And when it happens to you, it's going to come unexpectedly. It's going to come out of the blue. It's going to be unknown. And you're going to wonder why. Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me? What happens with the, us as humans is we struggle with the things that we cannot control. Something happens and we want to change it. People act towards us in a certain way and we want to be able to get them to see it differently or act differently. We want to try to reconcile things or make things better and we can't because we have no control over it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to go back and make it differently, but you can't. Things just happen. And we struggle. Why did this happen? Why is this going on? Well, while God doesn't bring the things into our lives, what He does is He uses them. He uses what is presented in our lives for greater good and for greater glory. What happens as humans, as human nature, is to focus on the thing that we cannot control. And when we focus on the thing that we cannot control, we get stuck in a moment. When we focus on things we can't control, it hurts us and it delays us into the things that we can control. It's exactly what the enemy does in our life. He uses people, places, and things. God is using people, places, and things to bring you into purpose, to bring you into destiny. The devil's trying to use people, places, and things to shut you down and to shut you off and to basically come across your path and either delay you or completely halt you. The choice is up to you. How you respond is critical. A lot of people get offended, they get hurt, they get pushed back. You know, why did this happen to me? I don't understand why this happened to me. And they get stuck in a moment. Some people are stuck in the 80s. Some people are stuck in the 90s. Some people are stuck in their childhood. They can't get past the broken issues of their childhood. Well, I got news for you. Jesus uses messed up lives. The beauty of the book. Come on, I got one. Right? Here's what we do as Christians. We like to shine it. We like to make everything perfect, everything beautiful. You know, we like it clean and safe for the whole family. I got news for you. The gospel is not clean and safe for the whole family. I'm just telling you. Jesus is armed and dangerous. It's messy, but it's purposeful and it's transformational. I was in a church the other day and I was just, I was just kind of sharing this a little bit in first service. And I was there, an amazing church, beautiful building. Everything's clean. Everything's beautiful. Pews. 20-foot ceiling, soffit, chandeliers. Everything's controlled, in and out in an hour. Three-quarter worship. <laughs> Don't want to go too far. Don't want to go too far. No, no I'm, I'm safe. No, no, right there. Yeah, I'm safe. I feel good. Everybody looks clean. Everybody looks special, fancy. But in reality, that's not what home life actually looks like. Christians often shine things and make things into something that they are not. Jesus deals with reality. That's the power of the Bible is He doesn't shine anything. God takes all of these people's lives that He used and He throws it right out there. And He shows you how messed up Peter was, how messed up Abraham was, how messed up David was. He shows you. And what we do is we create idols. Oh, glorious David. The man after God's own heart. Have you read the story of his life? And have you read it objectively? It was a mess. Dysfunctional home out, right out of the gate. Abraham, same thing. The guy we're going to look at today, dysfunctional. Joseph comes from a dysfunctional family. Confused and corrupt. His father had 13 children with four different women. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Twelve boys and one girl, Diana or Dinah. 
He had Rachel, he had Leah, and he had their handmaidens. So in the ancient culture, the wives of the patriarchs or the wives of affluent families, they were a country family, but they had a lot of money. So just think Beverly Hillbillies and you'll be pretty much down the, down the lane. They were very well off and they were very blessed, but they were not the most sophisticated group in the world. So you think you need sophistication in order for God to use you? Read your Bible. You think you need this enormous background in order for God to use you? You need to read your Bible. Thirteen kids with four different women. Joseph didn't choose that, but that was the reality that he was born into. He had two wives, and each one of those wives had a handmaiden or an attendant, and he had both of them, and they had, she had children with them. Kind of love the one you're with, right? Joseph was raised by a father whose ancestry was blessed and knew God, but his father was not a worshiping man. Oh, that's not true. Jacob was a worshiper. That's how we do it. We make Jacob into this huge. He was not. There's only two instances in the Bible where we actually see him worshiping. Only two. And there are great transitions in his life. One where he's having to confront his brother who hates him, and the second one is when he's having to relocate his whole family. Then the third instance we see Joseph having some encounter with God is he's fighting with him. He's wrestling with the angel, the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He's wrestling with the Lord. To try and the Lord was given up on him because Jacob did not want to follow. And so the Lord was wrestling with him, contending with him, saying, Jacob, you need to do this. Jacob's like, I'm not. And so the Lord said, forget it, I'm leaving. Well, God wouldn't do that. The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man. He doesn't strive with you. There's a point where he's going to labor with you, and if you don't reply and you don't respond, he's going to leave you to your own devices. It's not what he wants, but oftentimes it's what we force him to do. And so Jacob said, don't leave unless you bless me. And he said, you want a blessing? Your blessing lies in the changing of your identity. He said, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. The way we're blessed is in the transformation of our identity. Who we think we were into who God says we are. Who the world says we are into who he says we are. That's where the blessing lies. And he touched Jacob's hip so that he would remember his pride and he would walk with a limp. So every time Jacob limped, he would remember, I'm Israel. I'm not Jacob. <laughs> Jacob was a runner. That's what he did. He ran. This is Joseph's father, the one with four women and 13 kids, right? This is, this is the family he comes out of. His dad was constantly running from the Lord, a non-worshipper. When he worshipped, he worshipped the God of his father. Not his God. I worship, I call upon the God of my father. The family had a covenant, the family had a blessing promised over it. But the blessing and the promise was not activated because there was no one in the family line that was entering the promises of God. So although the blessing was there, there was no activation of the power. There was no activation of the purposes. And while Jacob refused to bow fully unto the Lord, God found Joseph, one of his sons, that would. But Joseph had to go through a horrible process in order to get there. He was favored by his father and hated by his brothers. He couldn't control that. So these things happen to Joseph. If anybody in life has been traumatized and victimized, it's nothing compared to what Joseph has been through. He's been traumatized, he's been victimized. And you say, God can't use me. I'm too traumatized, I'm too victimized. Says who? Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. This guy's been traumatized, he's been victimized. His, fa his father loved him because his father had two wives. He had Leah and he had Rachel. Long story behind how he ended up there. But the one wife he really loved, Rachel. And Rachel had two kids. And so Rachel's like, you know, she's just the bee's knees, right? She's everything to Jacob. And so Jacob favored Rachel's two sons. And the rest of the kids, well, they're just kind of there, you know? But these two boys, one of them, Benjamin, was probably very small, but Joseph was of age. And so Jacob favored them. So they had a lot of wealth, but they were farmers, and they were... Uh, 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 herders of sheep and so what the father would do is he would send out the boys to go and take care of the crops and go take care of the sheep and Joseph complained to his dad that the boys were being mean to him this is basically how the story goes dad they're calling me names they're saying all this they're throwing dirt at me you know uh you know Benjamin threw or not Benjamin Judah threw a, a sheep threw throwing sheep poop at me so it's like they don't like me they don't love me he goes home and complains to his dad and his dad goes well it's okay you don't have to go out and work anymore and so Jacob holds Jake Joseph back and so again, they have money. So here's the scene. Once you show this, Jacob's brothers hated him for it. They hated him. 
You say, how could they hate him? Well, how would you feel? You're going out into the field every day. You're sunburnt. You're sweaty. You're dirty. You come home. You're smelling like manure. You got calluses, blisters, all kinds of things. And you walk in, and there's your brother coming from the pool with a Versace robe and a Mai Tai in his hand. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's it going? How's, how's, how's work? How's it going? You know, they're out there doing all the work, and this guy's living in the lap of luxury. He's staying home around the pool, working on his tan you know, doing some internet surfing, seeing what he can buy, new clothes, whatever, and they're out, there, they're out there cranking. So they had a lot, what psychologists would call latent anger. They had anger beneath the surface. And so when John, one day Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers, because they were supposed to be in one spot, and they weren't. And he says, hey, go out and find your brothers. And when he went out, and found, when he went out to find his brothers, he found his brothers, and when they saw him, they purposed in their hearts, going to kill him. That's how much they hated him. They couldn't stand him. They decided not to kill him. They sell him as a slave. So he's betrayed and he's sold. Huh? You ever been betrayed? You ever been sold? Sold out? You know, all kinds of that. He had no control over that either. And when they would sell you as a slave, so they sell him to slave traders. Slave traders take him down into Egypt. So he goes from country living into the most sophisticated environment in the world at that time. He goes down to Egypt. Egypt was the most advanced and sophisticated culture of the ancient world. It pales almost every other community that they look at. They're still studying Egypt. Okay, We're in like 2017, and they're still studying Egypt. And what they currently know of Egypt is just best guesses. And so how do you know their guesses? Because they keep changing it all the time. They don't really know. And so this was a culture of mystery religions. This was a culture of science. This was a culture of math. This was a culture of merchandise and trade and high learning. The Bible says of Moses, he was educated in all the wisdom and the knowledge of the Egyptians. What is that saying? He was educated in the highest way of that, of that world possible. So these were, very, these were not dumb people by any stretch of the imagination. Hieroglyphics weren't even deciphered until the 1800s, just to give you an idea. So we have hieroglyphics, the ancient writing of the Egyptians, the pictorial form of their writing. We didn't even know what it meant until a little over 100 years ago, right? I mean, it was 200 years ago. It was the 1880s, I think, 1860s, somewhere in there. They deciphered the hieroglyphics because they found a stone called the Rosetta Stone, and it had half hieroglyphics and half Greek. Well, they knew the Greek, and so they used the Greek to interpret the hieroglyphs. But up until that point, they, they had no ability to even interpret it. It's advanced and sophisticated. They're, they're guesses as to how they built the, temp, the, the pyramids. They don't even know. The pyramids are mathematically aligned with the stars of heaven in precise precision. <laughs> the Sphinx faces the Milky Way. When the Milky Way rises on the vernal equinox of eight, of, of, of April, in the middle of April, the sun will rise in due east. The Sphinx is facing it. And it's face, it is facing out at the mountain of the delta of the Nile. And the Nile River lines up with the Milky Way. How do they know that? They found that place that did that, and they built the society there. These were not stupid people. And Joseph, as country bumpkin going down there, he, he doesn't know a whole lot, and he's being thrown into a culture that he doesn't know anything about. He's being brought into a language that he doesn't know anything about. He can't control it. He had no relational point to reference. Nothing. He doesn't have a family. He's thrown into a world that he doesn't know. He's confused. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And he couldn't go back. He's like, how did I get here? He didn't know. Then he's in this vulnerable state. He didn't ask for this, but he feels insanely vulnerable. How do you know? Because when they sold slaves in the ancient world, they sold them naked. They weren't nice. You were property. And so they would strip them of their clothes, and they would stand there in chains so that the buyers could fully examine what they were buying. So he's in standing vulnerably, well, a bunch of people that he doesn't know walk around him and smack him with sticks and poke at him, you know, and try to see who he is or what he's all about, and somebody purchases him. He had no control over that. No control. You don't think he was victimized? Hello. He goes to work for a guy named Potiphar. He works with Potiphar. He does, it, he does his best. He serves Potiphar. Potiphar is, the, is a high royal official of the Egyptians, and Potiphar exalts him and gives him rulership over all of his property. He becomes the entire property manager of all of Potiphar's household. Potiphar has a wife. Potiphar works a little long at the, at, the, at the shop. He's not home all the time. And so his wife's a little lonely, and she's feeling a little indulgent. And here's virile 17-year-old buff, good-looking uh, Hebrew boy walking around the house. 
And every day the Bible says she would look at him and go, lie with me. Lie with me. My master is gone, my husband. My master is working. Go. I want you to come to my bed. I want you to lie with me. And Joseph kept saying, no, 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 no. There's a commentary, a missional commentary, a Hebrew commentary, and it says that when she asked him that, he said, my God will see. And the commentary says she took off her robe and hung it over one of the household gods and said, no, she won't. No, he won't. So here's 17-year-old raging hormonal Joseph standing in front of a woman who's completely naked, and she's saying, hey, come to my bed. What do you got to lose? And of course he didn't, and then she accuses him of rape. Hello, you ready for this? She accuses him of rape. He gets thrown into an Egyptian prison for more than 10 years, more than a decade. We read these stories, and we think that Joseph spent a day and a night in a jail. That was it. He was there for 10 years in an Egyptian jail, which is essentially a cave or a hole in the ground. Now, it wasn't air-conditioned, you know, wasn't modern by any stretch of the imagination, and he spends 10 years there. He felt forgotten. He was felt forgotten by his family, forgotten by his brothers, but he knew God didn't forget him. How he was able to maintain that, I do not know. He was hired by a guy, so finally he serves the guys that come into prison. Two of the king's, two of the pharaoh's servants are thrown into prison, a baker and a cupbearer. Get, they get thrown into prison. They have, both have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams for them. And the one goes, gets restored back to service of the, of the pharaoh. And he says, hey man, when you go back to pharaoh, let him know that I'm here. Tell him I'm here, right? I need to get out of here. Let him know I'm here. And the guy's like, no worries, I got you. When I get up to pharaoh, I'm going to let him know all about you. Well, of course he didn't. And so Joseph lingers for a few more years. And then Pharaoh starts having nightmares, right? He has this crazy dream. Some Bible would call it a dream, but to him it was a nightmare. He sees seven, he sees all of these fatted calves and all these things, and then he sees these famished calves, and he has this nightmare, and he brings forward all of his officials, and he says, you guys need to help me interpret this dream. Aren't you the spiritual people around here? Aren't you the ones that are supposed to be tuned into this stuff? Help me understand this, and none of them could. And the cupbearer goes, uh, hey, um, man, I forgot all about this. Uh, about five years ago when I was in jail, there was a dude down there that could interpret dreams. Now, I don't know if he's still there or not. You know, he might have died. I don't even know. But there was a guy down there. I think his name was Joseph. You know, he could probably interpret your dream. And the king's like, well, go get him. And so they send for Joseph. Joseph shaves. Big part of the story, Joseph shaves. To a Hebrew, only slaves shaved. So he shaved. Joseph probably had some humility issues he needed to deal with. Joseph probably had some selfish issues he needed to deal with. And so for the first time in his life, he presents himself as a servant rather than one who deserves to be served. And the whole story pivots. <laughs> I don't know how you would do this because Pharaoh wasn't making him any deals. Pharaoh didn't say, hey, if you interpret my vision, I'll let you go. It was no deal. Pharaoh's like, I'm God. It's basically how Pharaoh saw themselves. They were kings who were worshipped as gods, and they took all the glory there. They're like, yeah, that's right, I am God. So Pharaoh's basically like, I'm God. You're under my care, and you either interpret this dream, or I might kill you today. That was pretty much the deal. And so they said, to, they said to Joseph, you interpret dreams. Joseph says, I don't interpret dreams. Here's the difference between him and his father. He says, but the God I serve interprets dreams. See, to Jacob, it was the God of my father's. The God that's out there, the big guy upstairs, my, you know, whatever, big buddy, whatever, whatever his perception was, the great unknown God and the God of the, my father worshipped. But to Joseph was the God that I know, the God that I'm in relationship with, who is sustaining me in the midst of these horrible circumstances, he alone can answer this dream. So, of course, Joseph answers the dream, and Pharaoh sa he says to Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of incredible bounty and plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of horrible famine, and the famine will be worse than the years of the plenty. So let Pharaoh be wise and appoint a man of wisdom to oversee the seven years of plenty, that there may be sustenance in the time of famine. And Pharaoh's probably sitting there looking, going, and he's got all his counselors over here, and he's like, I need a guy of wisdom. Well, it can't be any of y'all because you guys don't know anything. Well, he's probably thinking to himself, what do I even have you around for? You know what I'm saying? And so he looks at Joseph and he says, I think you're the guy. And he appoints Joseph to be overseer of all. He was second only to Pharaoh. He went from the pit to the palace in a day. And he's there, not just with his attitude, but in the way that he carried himself. 
His submission and his relationship to God, his willingness to serve. There's keys to his life. We're going to look at a few of them. Next slide. And the reason that I tell you this is because sometimes, somewhere, somehow, something's going to happen to you that you do not deserve. It's going to go sideways, and you're not going to know why. It's going to go south, and there's not going to be any reason for it. What was working is going to stop working. And so what we need to have is we need to have an understanding of how to get through what we're going through, and we need to have an understanding of how to move past our past. Joseph became very successful despite his past. Maybe you're a 13th child of a father who had four wives or four women. Maybe, you're, maybe that was your daddy. Spread the love all over town, right? Love the one you're with. You know? Maybe that's you. Or maybe you come from the American nuclear family. Wife, 2.2 kids, whatever. Everything's perfect, whatever. The point is, is God, God can use you in spite of any of your circumstances and in spite of any of your, your situations, He can and He will use you. And I shared this with first service, so this is a good word. Jesus is a builder. Jesus is in the restoration business. He is not the author of evil, but He will use evil to His purposes to achieve good. God did not bring the circumstances on Joseph. The circumstances were brought upon Joseph from a wicked world and wicked people making wicked choices. And some of it was his own selfish heart. So there's a combination of things. But God had a purpose. And his purpose was to use Egypt to be the breadbasket for the world that was going to go into famine. And to sustain the patriarchal family through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to bring about the preserve the bloodline of the Hebrew people so that Messiah could come. That was all his purpose. But God didn't need to do it that way. And what you need to understand is that Jesus works with what is given to him. What we present him with is what he'll work with. It's not his ideal situation. He's not saying, hey man, wow, that was my plan for you all along, Joseph. I wanted you to get accused of rape. I wanted you to rot in a prison for 10 years. I wanted you to be forgotten. I wanted your family lied to and told that you're dead so that they're mourning and they're in sorrow and they're in grief. And that your father practically has a heart attack because you died. That was really my plan. That was none of his plan. But God used it. And we have to correct our theology in thinking that God is the author of evil. He is not. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. In him is light and not darkness. We got to get it right. We need to know where darkness comes. Darkness comes from sin. Darkness comes from broken people, broken world, broken system, and bad devil. And broken choices. That's where darkness comes. It does not come from the Lord, but He will use it. He takes beauty. He makes beauty from ashes. This is what the Bible says. If you will give Him the ash heap of your life, He will turn it beautiful. That's right. That's right. The verse goes like this. He takes the weary from the ashes and He sits them among princes. He will take the most broken and shot out people and He will exalt them if you are willing to submit yourself unto Him and follow Him. I tell people this all the time. I shared it with first service. The people who come from solid backgrounds have a more difficult time with discipleship than the people who come from broken backgrounds. And the reason for that is, is because Jesus doesn't work with a built-up life. He dismantles it. So if you come again from, you know, whatever it is, I don't know what your background is and you don't know what mine is. And so it's like you, you, you come from that background. Jesus is not going to work with all of the things that you have built. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. So if you built the house and you got it all straight and square, you've labored in vain. And when you come present your life to the Lord, He's going to dismantle some things in order to build again. But if you're already broken and shot out, and the house is already burnt down to the ground, you're, hey man, you're 50% of the way there. <laughs> He's got something he can work with, which he can build it up. This is how he works. It's how he is. And this is the fault of Christianity. Christianity's fault is we like to pretend that everything is perfect, everything is safe, everything is pristine, that we got it all together at all times. That's not the truth. And we don't tolerate that from one another. When you realize you're broken and the only one that's got it together is Jesus, we're all going to have a happy day. I don't expect people to not be broken. Because they are. 
I don't expect people to not make mistakes because they're fallen. I don't expect people to not sin because they're sinners born by the Spirit, born into grace, but still reconciling their lives unto Christ. So there's a lot of dysfunction. I don't even expect it of myself. I have a lot of grace on myself because I know I don't have it all together, but I know Jesus loves me in spite of it all. And that's a happy day for me. <laughs> and it should be for you. You don't need to have it all together. You just have to offer what you have. And so Joseph is in this difficult place. He's successful in spite of his past. What are some things that Joseph did? Ever say the first one, move on. Move on. Come on, move on. move on. You have got to move on past your past. Oh, you don't understand, Kevin. I was raised in this really bad home. I was abused and I come from all this. Listen, I empathize with that and I get all that and I understand all that. I didn't have the advantages you had. First of all, you don't know my advantages because I didn't have any. Okay? The only advantage I've ever had is Jesus. That's the only advantage. The only one. And he said he's all that and I said, then I'm all in. He says he'll do all that then I said, I'm giving it all away. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm in. That's the only advantage. That's the only advantage that matters. There's no other advantage that matters. Everything else is useful, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with certain things. Those things are useful, but they must be submitted and subjected unto Christ or they are vain. You can be wise, you can have knowledge, you can have wisdom, you can have all of the things, the trappings that come from a human existence. Those are fine. You can have money, but no matter what you have, if you do not submit it and subject it unto Christ, it is vain. It is worth nothing. But when you submit it and subject it unto Christ, it becomes glory. It becomes gold. And God will maximize it. He'll take what you think you can do and He'll send it through the roof. He'll think what you can accomplish and He'll take it through the roof. He'll take your abilities and you'll encounter His ability and now your ability will become supernatural ability and you'll ride in the high places. This is who He is. Come on. <laughs> Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't have any clue about. You need insight? There you go. You need wisdom? There you go. People go, I need money. No, you need wisdom. If you have wisdom and understanding, you can get money. <laughs> that's on, well, that's, just, that's on a side note. I don't want to say that. So he moved on. Listen, it's not an issue of not dealing with your past. There comes a time where you have to deal with your past. But sometimes you are so broken and so shot out and so traumatized and so abused from the circumstances that the only thing you can do is set it aside and move on. You are not in a position emotionally to deal with that. And that's okay. So God says, set it aside. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to strengthen you. Because Joseph did deal with his past. But he didn't deal with his past until God brought him to a more stable place. But the only way he could get him to that stable place was if Joseph was willing to set it aside and move on for now. That's what you got to do. You got to be willing to set some things aside for now and move on. Because if you don't, you become a prisoner to it. You have to be willing to set it aside. It's not an issue of, not, of acknowledging that it didn't happen. It did happen. It was painful. It was hurtful. It was wrong. Whatever it may be. But you can't live there. You have to put it over here and you've got to move into better tomorrows. And when Jesus brings you into a better tomorrow, He will bring you there. And when it is necessary for you to deal with your past, He will bring you to that place. And He will lead you into it with grace and ease. What happens is, your past, see here it is, here we have level. Some of us, our lives have brought us so, we're so below the line. You don't have the strength or the ability. The only way you can even get level is to just set it aside and move on. And now we're at least at level ground. Jesus will build the house. He'll strengthen you. He'll empower you. And He'll bring you to a place to where now you're at a place where you are, you are capable with Him to deal with some of this junk that you're carrying. And if you don't deal with the junk, well, you're not going to go any higher. Because usually when Jesus is calling out our junk, it's because He wants us to go higher. And But some people, it's not necessary or do they, nor are they in any position to deal with it. It's called, it's a principle of redemption and lift. There's a principle within the gospel. It's called redemption and lift. Jesus buys something from you. He purchases your sin. He purchases literally your life and he lifts you. That's what he does. So it's redemption and lift. And then he lifts you and he's constantly in the process of lifting you. And then when it's necessary to deal with these issues, because now your issues have become a barrier to you going higher, he will help you deal with the issues that are in your life. 
But sometimes we're so far down that we can't deal with it. The people that like it all clean and fancy, when things get shot out in their lives, they're the first people to stop coming to church. They're the first person to stop being unspiritual because they're so used to pretending that everything is clean and perfect that they themselves can't cope with anything when it's not. It's not clean and perfect, and it's okay. It's, 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 it's all right. Jesus is clean and perfect. He's holy. He makes me holy. He heals me. He redeems me. We've got to be willing to move past it. He couldn't control his situation. He couldn't control his past. Say this with me. I may not be able to control my circumstances, but I can control my attitude and my ethic. Joseph kept a positive attitude and a godly attitude. And again, I don't know quite how he did this. <laughs> and if you've ever gone through some of this, it's, you, you understand the struggle. But he probably had moments of wavering, but the Lord acknowledged his heart. And the Lord acknowledged his willingness to honor him in the midst of these circumstances. Joseph served. Moises, I love you, man. He gives me those wows, and I'm like, yeah, wow. <laughs> Joseph served Potiphar in his mass, and he gives him rulership. Then as he gets thrown into prison. His wife accuses him, thrown into prison. He could have lived in the world of poor me and self-pity. Now let me just blow up a couple of paradigms here because this is going to help a lot of you, particularly if you start moving deeper into the gospel and into the things within Christianity. What we have is we have two worlds within Christianity. We have this world over here where Christians are constantly victimized. Oh, poor me, brother. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know, it's just one trouble after another, one trouble after another. Anybody know anybody like that? Say, I'm a pastor. Someone's like, oh. Okay, so what is it this week? You know, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's okay to have moments of self-pity. It's okay to have moments of failure. Say this with me. It is not okay, is not okay to, turn to turn that into a lifestyle. It's not an issue of you feel sorry for yourself. It's not an issue of you have issues and you have problems. That's not the issue. The issue is, is if that's your lifestyle, there's a problem. Because you're not supposed to live self-pity as a lifestyle. You're supposed to live the kingdom as a lifestyle. Come on. You're not supposed to live poor me as a lifestyle. I realize that there are seasons and situations where that happens because that's the truth. So what we have over here is we either have we're a victimized culture or we have this other perception that doesn't give anybody any room to ever feel sorry for themselves. Well, you just need to have faith, brother. You just need to buck up. Well, that's not the Lord. You should, you know. And so we're either, we're either so like righteously legalistic or we're over here and we're so overly empathetic that we can't, either, neither, neither position can you get anything done. You can't get anything done from these positions. The, the, the center ground or the middle ground or the truth is that there are seasons of pity. You're going to feel sorry for yourself. You're going to hurt. It's okay to hurt. It is. It hurts to hurt. I get it. But it's okay to hurt. It's just not okay to live that as a lifestyle. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Right? Some people won't give themselves permission to feel any pain or any self-pity at all. I'm just, you know, nope, just believe in God, brother. Oh, just believe in God. When inside they're falling apart. That's a self-righteous facade that's not true. I'm just telling you. I've been around this gospel way too long to, to tell you anything different. You know, the people that pretend that there's something else going on beneath the surface and so it's okay yeah you, you know you're going through something man dude i feel sorry for you i feel the same thing i feel empathetic i feel sorry for myself listen i want to roll over in a corner suck my thumb put a little blanket over me sometime no, 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 poor me i get it but at some point you have to step up at some point you cannot you have to move past that and not operate in that as a lifestyle what joseph did is he maximized what was set in front of him he played the hand he was dealt and he changed the game with Jesus, you not only have the opportunity to play the cards that you're dealt, you have the opportunity to change the game. Because Jesus is the ultimate game changer. So he moved on. Next slide. He moved on. Philippians tells us to move on. He says, forget those things that are behind and reach towards those things that are ahead. We cannot, say this with me, I cannot, I cannot. and I will, not I will not be stuck in a moment. I want, I want. to move on. I will, I will set these things aside. The word forget, here again is Christianity. I'll give you Christianese. We teach it like, oh, you just need to forget all about that, brother. You just need to forget about How many knows there's some things you can't forget? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some things that you did, were done to you, that happened to you. You can't forget it no matter how hard you try. 
When the Bible's telling you to forget it, what it's telling you is it's an acknowledgement that I refuse to, be accepted, refuse to be affected by my past. That's what it's telling you to do. It's not saying forget it, just get that out of your mind, just you know, think happy thoughts, rainbows, my little pony, just you know, think fairy Jesus, just go into that world. That's not what it's telling you to do. It's saying, yes, that happened. Yes, that was painful. Yes, that was, that was a very difficult time and probably still is, but I will not live my life in bondage to that. And I refuse to allow myself to continually be affected by something that I have no control over. That's what it's telling you. Yeah, come on. That's what you have to do. These, it's, not an, it's not a refusal or a lack of acknowledgement that something happened. It did happen. It happened, right? Or you did that, or you were there, or this happened to you. These things are true. So yes, that happened. Yes, that is painful. Yes, this has affected me. But I refuse to allow that to continue to affect me, and I'm changing, and I'm moving on. Joseph was in God's will, but God's will for Joseph was difficult. God's will was that he preserve his nation. God's will was that he provide for the world during a time of very bad famine. It was not God's will that Joseph have to endure all of that. However, God did use it. In, in, in this process, God was changing him, right? Difficulty changes us, doesn't it? Right? I mean, we sing songs, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? We got that song? What doesn't kill you makes you I don't even know that song. I've heard it a couple of times. Who sings that? Anybody know? Thank you there. Kelly Clarkson, right there. (laughs) I'm a Kelly Clarkson fan, I guess. I don't even know. God was changing him in the process. He was moving him from a selfish person into a selfless person. He was revealing him. Difficulty, pain shows you things about yourself you never knew were there or was there. Right? Good, bad, and ugly. You go through difficult circumstance, you think you're a really loving and forgiving person, and then all of the house comes down around you and you see all of this unforgiveness coming out of you, right? It's revealing you. It's revealing parts of you that are wrong, parts of you that are right, and parts of you that are true. And we take what is wrong and what is broken and we give it to the Lord and we emphasize and we strengthen the things that are true. But difficulty reveals us ultimately to, re- to elevate us and bring us forward. God used the circumstances to prepare Joseph. Difficulty is used by the Lord. He uses it to strengthen your character so that you could hold more glory. That's the point. What he is doing with you is he is using it. Lord, it's not for me, Kevin, but I'm going to use it. This isn't my will, but I'm going to use it. This isn't what I want, but I'm going to use it. This is what I want, and I'm going to use that to get you there. That's what he does. He uses that to get you there. Glory is the word kavod, and it means goodness or weight of goodness. If you do not have the character, God cannot put his weight upon your life because your character is what holds the glory. Your ability to stand, your ability to hold true, your ability to endure, your ability to persevere, your ability to do what is right in the face of what is wrong, that's your character. And God puts his glory or the weight or his substance on that. And so we're like, God, give me glory, Lord, do this in my life. And then all of a sudden we go into these seasons of difficulty. And you're like, why are we doing difficulty? Because God is going to use the difficulty to strengthen your character so that he can do what it is that he wants to do. Most believers, the glory comes on their life and their life collapses under the glory because they do not have the character to sustain it. Oh, God, give me a million dollars. Do you have the character to deal with a million dollars? You do? All right. I'd like to think I do anyway. <laughs> what would you do with it? How would you manage it? Do you have a million dollar vision? If you have a million dollar vision, then you have an alignment with heaven's purposes for a million dollars. If you don't have a vision for the million dollars, you don't have, you're not aligned with heaven's purposes for the million dollars. If your vision is merely so I can have a house, all my bills can be paid, I can have a car, and I can let everybody just know how rich and successful I am, you're completely misaligned with heaven. Heavens has an entirely different plan related to money. And it's not that you're not part of the process. It's just that it is not about you. That's right. And until you get the heavenly vision for the million dollars, you're wishful thinking. But if you will get the heavenly vision and begin to do the things that are necessary in line with the heavenly vision, then God will honor it. Paul says, I thank myself worthy. Paul says, I consider myself happy because I've been true to the heavenly vision. I've been true to my vision. I was true to the vision of heaven. 
So people want things, they're asking God for things, but then they're at, they're, their character doesn't have the weight. So if you got a million dollars and you go off and maybe you had an alcohol problem, an addiction problem, an ego problem, when you're given that, it's going to reveal it all. Your ego's going to bling, the drugs are going to go off the chain, whatever it is. It's going to blame. It's going to, it, so you, you have to put yourself in a position to be able to carry the things that you ask him for. We don't understand works. Israel knew my ways. Moses knew the Lord's heart. There's an entirely different process here. Many Christians, you know the ways. You see God do things, but you have no understanding as to how his heart works. You have no understanding as to what it means into that. I ask God for stuff all the time. Go big or go home. That's what I do. And you know what I have to be willing to do? Accept what he tells me in return. I ask him for more of his glory, more of his power, more of his power. I ask him for certain things like that. He told me one time, because you, know, you guys have been with me a few weeks, he said, you know how he offends you? He says, you can't handle it. You can't take anymore. <gasps> Jesus said, I can't take anymore. Oh, where's my blanket? Pour me self-pity over here. I'm like, what? In other words, am I maximized here? Is this as far as I can go? You know what I tell him? Then take me apart. Then completely dismantle me emotionally, completely dismantle me spiritually, and upgrade me physically if you have to in order that I could have what it is that I'm asking for. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to let God completely disassemble you emotionally? Are you willing? Because I can't care anymore. So when he disassembles you emotionally, he's going to go down into the basement and he's going to start dealing with the boxes that are taking up all the room that prevent him from getting into where he wants to go and releasing more into your life. Very few people are willing to go there. Very, very few. And I'm talking low percentage points of believers. Most believers are content with being observers. Just let us see the glory. Show me your glory. Paul said, I, the, the, the apostle said, I was an eyewitness and I held it in my hands. I not only saw it, I held it. I was there. I experienced it. More than a witness. You have to be willing to ask God for things, and you have to be willing to accept the things that He tells you in return. And He will challenge you. And your response is, Oh, He told me I don't have any faith. You'll never grow. He'll leave you as a child. Until you realize that what He wants from you is to respond back to Him, then what do I need to grow? Where do I need to change? Lord, you told me I would have money. Some of you have had a vision. You told me, well, I, I'm just trying to use an example of, that we can all relate to. Money is, is the universal relation point to us all. You know, we all have different things, but money is always the center. You told me this was going to happen. Why isn't it happening? Let him tell you. Let him tell you. You're greedy, you're selfish, your vision isn't aligned. You've not done the things that I told you to do. Let him tell you. Let him tell you. We're so used to abusive parents or parents that we think God's like that. And so if he tells us something, he's demeaning our character. What he's doing is he's identifying points in your life that need to change in order for him to get you there. He's trying to get you there, but you've got to help him out. What Joseph did, say this with me, he worshipped in the process. He honored God in spite of his circumstances. This is a very difficult thing for me to realize because it's very hard. Because I realize, having had many difficult situations, how difficult it is to truly worship and honor God in the midst of the circumstance. And we shine it, and we pretend, oh, you know, I'm just blessing the Lord. Really? At all times, you're blessing the Lord. You don't have any moments of doubt, any moments of freakouts, any moments at, at all times. You are just a spiritual giant constantly. That's not the reality. And so what God is not expecting us to be perfect He's expecting, say this with me, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. That's right. He's not expecting perfection from you, but he is expecting direction. He's expecting you to go in the right direction. He'll work out the perfection. He'll, get, he'll handle that. He's perfect. He honored. Say this with me. My past, come on, this is good. My past does not determine my future. Now say this. My today determines my tomorrow. Your past has no effect on your future. Your choices today do. So if your choices is to live in your past and to live in that world, then that will affect your future. But your past does not affect your future unless you let it. Joseph did not allow his past and all of the issues of his past to affect the person that he was. He couldn't control his circumstances, but he could control his attitude. He couldn't control his circumstances, but he could control his ethic, how he 
went about it, and that's what we have. Our choices need to be correct. Next slide. He acknowledged God's presence in the process. Say this with me. Got lots of little, lots of little, lots of Twitter bait here for you guys this morning. I'm almost done, so hang in there. Life, come on, is not about the absence of trouble. Life is about the presence of God. It has, come on, it has nothing. Yeah, you can give him, give him cheer, man. That's awesome. I got you. Life is not about the absence of trouble. It's about the presence of God. When the presence of God is encountered, released, recognized, activated, it changes everything. It's not about your trouble. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. The Lord changes everything. One of my favorite stories is in Genesis. Isaac, Jacob's father, so uh, it would be Joseph's grandfather. The Bible says, Isaac sowed in the time of famine and he reaped a hundredfold. Well, how did he sow in a time of famine? It tells us before, he saw the Lord. He encountered God's presence in a very negative circumstance. And as he encountered God's presence and he recognized and entered God's presence in a horrible situation, the Lord not only consoled him, but the Lord gave him wisdom into overcoming the circumstance. It had nothing to do with the, with, the, with the trouble. It has everything to do with the presence of God. God will show you a way in the wilderness. He will give you a river in the desert. He will show you great and mighty things. He'll show you all of these things in spite of what you're experiencing and you're doing, if we'll lean on him. This is the great advantage of the believer. Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go. It's the active presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings the manifest presence of God into our life. The presence of God is more important than anything else. Anything else. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He didn't send the Holy Spirit in some, in some religious exercise. He sent the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Shekinah or the Shekinah, the manifest presence of God. He is the one that activates and releases and makes known all that Jesus brought. That's why the Holy Spirit is sent. And that's why the Lord knows my presence is greater than your trouble. Come on. Anybody here? It's true. All right, so let me just finish up right here. So he healed his soul. So there came a time where Joseph was in a better place and he healed his soul. His brothers came to him. He could have exacted vengeance on him, but instead he chose to reconcile. He had a different perspective. The way he was able to heal his soul is he entered into forgiveness. This is a huge piece. Forgiveness. What does forgiveness look like? Embrace the Lord's forgiveness. That's the first one. Receive Jesus. Release your being to him. Receive him. Let him forgive you. Then you have the capacity ability to forgive others but it comes also with knowledge you need to know that you are loved and accepted unconditionally if you do not know you are loved and accepted unconditionally then you cannot love and accept anybody else unconditionally you love others as you love yourself and if you don't know that then you, you need to have some encounters with the Lord he loves you in spite of you he's for you even when you're against you that's who he is forgiveness is a process Again, I just really want to free you this morning because the way that we teach forgiveness is we just say, well, you just need to forgive and forget. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Forgiveness is a divine impartation. It does not come from men. Men do not have forgiveness apart from the Lord. Just like agape love, self-sacrificing love, it exists in the world only because God put it there. It's divine in its power. If, you've not, if you think you're easy with forgiveness, I always tell people you've not been hurt deep enough. Uh-huh. You think you can forgive? Oh, I can forgive. I can forgive. I can forgive. I used to think that in my early days. Then I got married, had kids, and began to do other things in life, and I realized, wow, I, I have a problem forgiving. And then we get the Christianese running around going, oh, you just need to forgive, brother. You just need to forgive. Just give it to the Lord. Just forgive. And when I was younger, I would beat myself up and go, oh, I have a problem. What's wrong with me? I must be a weak Christian, all this other stuff. Then as I got older, I realized this is epidemic within the church. And so I said to the Lord, I said, how do we forgive? I'm having a hard time. And the Lord said, you can't forgive because you don't understand. Understanding is the key to forgiveness. Amen. If you can understand why it happened, then you can forgive it. Our problem with forgiveness is we don't understand why. Why did they do that? Why did that happen? Why did I do that? Why? And that's a real easy one. Understanding is easy to get past if you realize people are broken. That person hurts you because they themselves are hurting person wounded you because they themselves are wounded. That person did what they did because they are self-consumed, arrogant, and ignorant of you. They did that. Now, having said that, that does not make what they did right. You understand? Understanding doesn't make the action right. It makes it forgivable. 
And there's an entirely different world between what is right and what is forgivable. So when you can understand that it happened because of these things, it doesn't mean that, oh, wow, that's right. That was just, so, you, know, I, I, you know, what it means is, is that now I can release that. Because I understand that person was just jacked up, messed up, and did all of that out of their own thing, so I just release it. You do the same thing with yourself when you can forgive yourself. People have a huge problem forgiving themselves. Huge problem. They blame themselves for everything. You need to blame yourself. Listen, man, we should be well past that. I don't expect perfection of myself. I acknowledge my wrongs. I try to correct the things that I do do wrong, but I don't put that level of guilt and shame on myself because I'm not perfect. And I understand that I'm a sinner that Jesus loves. And I understand that I'm redeemed. That's who I was. That's not who I am. And so I understand that's old Kevin. That's the zombie Kevin trying to come back to life and do his thing. And I, I let it go. You have to also understand this is going to help a lot of you. People, say it with me, people are not my source. People are not your source. We have unforgiveness. Oh, you did that to me. You ruined my life. You, did, you took my money. Whatever, whatever it may be. People are not your source. If you're a believer, your source is Jesus. Your source is the kingdom. That's where your blessing flows. My blessing does not flow from people. My blessing flows from him. And so when we have a hard time, we feel like people betrayed us or did the thing because we think they ruined their life. Nobody's ruined your life. People cannot halt your life. They can only hinder it. The devil cannot halt your life. He can only hinder it. The only person that can halt your life is you. Jesus isn't halting your life. You are. You halt your life by living in the past. You halt your life by believing the things that others say about you. You halt your life. You're the only one that can do that. People may hurt you and may do things, and that may slow you down a little bit, but they can never stop you until you stop and start agreeing with it. Until you start taking, devil's going to go, oh, you're a victim. Oh, you should feel sorry. There's, that's why you can't hold a job. You were so traumatized in the past. That's why it's all that way. And you're like, yes, that's true. I, I just, it's just what I am. I'm just, you know, I'm ADD. I'll never achieve anything. Uh, who told you that? <laughs> I'm not denying learning disabilities or anything like that. But those things cannot be barriers to your success. The only way they become a barrier is if you allow it. Just saying. Next slide. Joseph purposed to live his life as a blessing. He played the hand that was dealt and he changed the game. Why? Because he didn't repay evil with evil. Ah, oh, that is hard. This guy was given the opportunity with vengeance on a silver platter, if you know the story. Joseph is second only to Pharaoh, and he has all of his brothers in front of him. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all of the ones who caused him great pain. And all he's got to do is give an unquestioned command because his command would never be questioned. All he has to do is just say, execute them all. That's all he had to do. And they would be executed without question. All he had to do was go imprison them and do whatever it is he wanted to do and his command would have been carried out without question because there was none higher than except Pharaoh. And his word was law. And his word was as the decree of a God. And so that's all he had to do. But he didn't. He played around with them a little bit, but in the end he blessed them and he honored them. And he told them, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I see that now. And I've been an instrument of these purposes all these years. And I just didn't know it. He refused to be a victim of circumstance and he chose to be victorious over his circumstances. This is why Jesus tells us to not repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with good. This is why Jesus tells us to do good to those that do evil from somebody goes, well, it's the cycle of violence. Yeah, it's the cycle of violence, but it's also the supernatural principle of changing the game. There's a supernatural principle attached to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. It's hard. I'll tell you one story, and I, and I, cause the guy shared it with me. He had a person, my wife used to model. And so we had friends in the, you know, and whatever. So this guy was a guy model and he was on the phone. He was calling in saying, Hey, cause models have to call in and go, Oh, is there any jobs with the booking? Where's the casting and all that stuff. They have to touch base with their agent. And so my friend David was calling in. He's like, Hey, is there any work for me? And he goes, no, there's no work for you. And, the, and this booker hung up the phone, but the phone was left on speaker. So David could hear the conversation. And so his booker, which is the guy who handles all of his uh, hirings jobs, his booker starts really just railing him. Oh, that guy, he's like a Jesus freak. He's just so this, he's so that. Just totally ripping him and shredding him. And David's listening to it the whole time on the phone. And he hung up the phone. And he's like, what am I going to do? And he didn't know what he was going to do. He was really mad. Would you be mad? Yeah. This is the person responsible to help you get work. And that's why they're talking to him. 
and he's telling the they, bookers would sit in a round table. So they would all there'd be like four or five of them, and they sit in a circle. So they're all you know they all talk to each other across the table. So he's saying this to the whole room, and so he comes in the next day with a plate of cookies, and gives them to him, and he says, "Hey man, I was just thinking about you, and I just wanted to give do something nice for you." And he gives him the cookies, and he leaves. And all the people that he had ragged on him about watched him do that. And he just said that the whole thing changed. He said it was as if the whole environment changed. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's very difficult. I don't know how he did it other than the fact that he just humbled himself and he did it. Add value. Treat everything and everyone in front of you as an assignment. Situations come into your life and they are your assignment. People come into your life and they are your assignment. These are your opportunities to bless and bring the kingdom. And that is hard. Can we agree that that's hard? It's hard. So let's just say it with me. This is the change. These are the keys to change, the four keys to change. And we're going to take communion. First one is everybody say it with me. Move on. Worship on the way. Heal up and live to bless. Bless in spite of your pain. Bless in spite of your circumstances. Sometimes the greatest healing comes through you blessing others. Sometimes the greatest healing is in honoring people in ways that you yourself have never been honored. Right? Amen. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for these beautiful people who come to hear your word, Lord, and whose hearts are open. So Father, we just thank you for your glory here this morning. We thank you for the communion. We thank you that we get to share this with one another and bond ourselves one to the other as the body of Christ. We get to remember what you've done for us, Jesus, and we get to honor you. And so we bless you for that. We ask that you bless this communion time, you bless the elements, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. So Jody's going to play, and as she plays, I just need you to come up and around, take the element, take the juice and the cracker back to your seat, and we'll pray over it and we'll take it together, okay? given a couple of things as believers that testify and that bear witness of something that Jesus has done for us. One of them is baptism, significant of our death, our burial, and our resurrection in Christ. The other one is communion. It's a partnership. It's an acknowledgement of Jesus' sacrifice for us on our behalf. And it's an acknowledgement of our willingness to not just acknowledge it, but receive what he's done on our behalf. So when Jesus was getting ready to be crucified the night before he was, the Bible says that he had a party, he met with his friends, he took bread and he broke it. And he told them, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And my favorite part of that is when he says, as often as you do it, remember me. And it's as if he's saying that what I'm doing for you is no small thing. So please remember it. So let's just hold it up. Let's just say, Jesus, this represents your body that was broken for me. I believe it, and I receive it. Let's take it together.
he held up a cup of wine. The cup had a name. It was called the cup of redemption, of all things. And he said, in this cup is wine, and it represents the blood of a new covenant, a new relationship between me and you, a relationship built upon promises, built upon intimacy, built upon, built upon hope, hope of a future and a better tomorrow. And he says, whenever you take this, and as you take it together, I want you to remember me. Because what I do for you is no small thing. Let's hold it up. Say, Jesus, this represents your blood that was poured out for me. I believe it, and I receive it. Let's take it together. Come on. Well, love you guys. I had a lot to say today. I only had five slides. I thought it was going to be a short message. Five slides, no problem. Five slides. The Lord's like, no, nah, we're going to go a little further. Anyway, I thank you guys. You love God so much, and He has so much for you. His heart is full, and He only wants to bless you. So let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have a children's meeting in the riot room, and if you're a part of leadership, we have a leadership uh, meeting in the middle room, and there should be food. We love you guys. Have a great week. But not for sale.